This podcast is supported by CoinKite, the one-stop shop for everything you need to secure, use, and express your obsession for Bitcoin. The MK4, a new version of the hugely popular cold card hardware wallet, is out now with lots of new features for helping you to secure your Bitcoin. If you like to keep track of block time or keep track of the SATS USD exchange rate, the Block Clock Mini is the way to do it. And the gang at CoinKite have recently released the Tap Signer, which is an NFC-enabled card which holds a private key, allowing you to separate your keys from your wallets while still allowing for super easy transaction signing. To learn more about all their awesome gear and stay up to date on their new products, visit coinkite.com. Let's do it. Evan, how you doing? John, I am fantastic. What about yourself? Great. Yeah, never better, really. Can't complain. Got a coffee, had a good workout this morning. Sun is shining. It's all good. Cheers, brother. Me too. Cheers. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I don't know what, what you want to uh, talk about today. Maybe we start with uh, a brief introduction of yourself and then we can, I definitely want to dig into one, you know, some of the, the excerpt from, I think, a piece you're working on and or have since finished. Um, talk about some of that. And uh, also just some of your, the great tweets that I was just perusing uh, in advance of this discussion. So whatever introduction you want to give, let it rip. Um, yeah, I guess I don't, have anything specific uh, that I'd like to discuss. I mean, there's so much we can go into in terms of, uh, you know, obviously Bitcoin, its role in my life at this point, you know, psychedelics, the meaning crisis, Jordan Peterson. I mean, we could oh, talk Jesus. for many hours, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Um, so for myself, uh, I'm from uh, Ontario, Canada. I... Um, I was born in Muskoka. If uh, anybody knows where Muskoka is, uh, John, you are you re uh, familiar with Muskoka? I've heard of it. I wouldn't be able to point it out on a on a map, unfortunately. So it's cottage country in um, Ontario, essentially. So small town. Um, born in Muskoka, uh, came to the big city. Now I'm in Toronto, and uh, I finished school last year, and now I'm just trying to, you know, figure out my life. As we all are. What, what did you study? Yeah. Um, so I did. I studied at Algonquin um, College in Ottawa. I did audio engineering. So as you were talking about the podcast, uh, I had, had a little experience with a, with a podcast, a little hobby podcast. And I was really interested in music. I was really into music. And I thought that I um, would want to do a career in music. But I wasn't talented enough. Uh, so that, you know, had to be put a, put on the back burner. Um, and so I studied uh, business in Toronto, digital business. So, well, actually, I didn't quite get to finish, um, unfortunately, uh, because of uh, the Canadian, uh, how do I put it? The, the, the mandates, <laughs> the requirements. Yes, exactly. You mean you, you didn't want to concede to coercive medical procedures so i had three exams left for my bachelor for my fiat bachelor and i i had three exams left so i was halfway through the semester so literally six weeks left to school six or seven weeks left to school and i was going to have to get a vaccine to finish my exams at uh, humber college and you know what what am i going to do 
what am I going to get a vaccine? What am I going to get a vaccine to get a degree to get a, a you know, a fiat degree, as we say in uh, Bitcoin? That's so, so fucked. Yeah. So you, so you, you're three, three courses or three exams away from the degree, and it's on pause until that policy, I would say, inevitably gets rescinded. Yeah. Hopefully, I can go back um, and finish them um, at the beginning of the winter semester, December. Um, but I mean, I really don't know. I, I don't know if you've seen the controversy of Western University and these other universities in uh, Canada about uh, their, their uh, maintaining their COVID policies. So like booster, I don't really, uh, you know, honestly, I'm trying not to pay attention to it. Yeah, sure. Saying. Fair enough. But I mean, it's just so fucking insane that that's a thing. Like I, I assume, well, can't, I mean, Canada's pretty fucked but in many different ways, but and we, I Jesus. mean, there's some, some good news recently with, with Polyev getting the, the conservative party leadership, at least there might be some sanity brought back to the, to the discourse. I, I still think as, as crazy as Canada and a lot of Canadians are, I don't, I can't see these policies staying in place like indefinitely. I think there's just going to be too much pushback and, and they'll be rescinded, but just the, the, the fact alone that they are in place at all still is, is insane. And I think even because um, I, I spoke to uh, Julie Ponesi, I think is her name. I think she's mm -hmm. the ethics professor at Western University itself, who's yeah. been, you know, you know, leading the charge at, well, explaining and, and, and discussing the the ethical issue at hand here. And um, and she's a great person to do it because she's very articulate and she's very well educated and, you know, she has the credentials and, you know. I think she's been putting forth a good message, but I guess the insanity is going to ensue, continue for at least a little while longer, but it's just, it's so crazy that they're even allowed to do that. And for people like yourself that just choose to, you know, make their own choices regarding their health, it means now that the money they've put into their education, the time, the opportunity cost, everything they get, you know, quote unquote, nothing for it because, you know, in the university context you're looking for that piece of paper at the end of it not that it's terribly relevant in the world today but still like that's the deal that you sign up for with them and there's no fine print that says like well if we decide you need a medical procedure you need to get it in order to finish your your degree it's just madness yeah and thank god i was able to find a job um uh, <laughs> without having to have like a, the proof of credentials or like uh you know um so that's uh, that's less of a concern it, it really is just about getting the piece of paper but it, it, you know man fuck them i mean you'd almost <laughs> yeah. be like you not want to get it at all now out of spite like you know just so that that's your credentials now these motherfuckers tried to get you to do something you didn't want to do just so that you could get that piece of paper now it's almost a badge of honor not to have it you know yeah you know you're right but i do i i i am struggling with this like if i want to you know, it's such a, it's a tough decision because, so let's say I want to uh, pursue a master's degree or do a graduate program and I want to do yeah. philosophy. And so, you know, I, I'm thinking to myself is like the, the academic institutions, the, the, they still are a pillar of our society. Like they're, they're not completely irrelevant the the piece of paper in the education is becoming irrelevant because we have people like yourself and other people who educate people 
uh, of, a, of a one to many relationship over the internet uh, for free. But if I'm wanting to congregate with people in real space and be in a, a real space, a real zone of higher learning, then where do I do that outside of the academic space? You mean like in meat space, you want to do that or it doesn't matter? Where, where do philosophers hang out together, right? In, in a... Um, Certainly not in fucking institutions that are going to impose <laughs> restrictions on them. That's for damn sure. If you're any sort of philosopher worth your salt, you don't put up with that shit no matter what. So if yeah. you're, I mean, if you're presuming, if you think that like they're all hiding behind or they're all hiding in there, then I, that's just, I think, absurd on its face. Because again, I, I don't think any philosopher worth their salt would, even if they were on the side of the issue that was being enforced, I don't think they would put up with it you know and if they yeah. would then then they lack the courage and the virtue and all the other good things that you would hope that philosophers would be discussing and attempting to embody they don't got them and so i mean just for that reason alone i would say not there i mean yeah. they're happening they're happening in places like this they're happening in mm -hmm. bitcoin meetups they're happening in online groups and chats and all that kind of stuff and and the and and it's it, i just think it's so much uh those discussions are so much more open and real and relevant and applicable, you know, because like, obviously we, we talk a lot about certain aspects of philosophy in Bitcoin land. And when we're talking about money and we're talking about society and culture and all that kind of stuff, but it's, I think we're doing it for like a really relevant purpose. We're trying to gain a greater understanding of this phenomenon how it relates to our lives and how to establish an increasingly high fidelity relationship between the two so that we can invite whatever virtues it represents and whatever virtues we might have access to into our lives and use that as a mechanism of orienting ourselves and manifesting goodness in our life, broadly speaking. Whereas, you know, I think when it becomes strictly an academic pursuit, then, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of discussion and discourse um, but not a lot of real world application, you know, it's all in theory and there's no, like, there's no gravity, gravity to it is my impression, you know, and I only did a few philosophy courses in university. So, but I think, you know, generally speaking, why do you need a philosophy course? Why do you need a philosophy professor to facilitate this? And there's certainly a lot of people online now that are, well, as you know, like Peterson and Verveke and all these guys, like they offer this material. Now that's mm -hmm. maybe not a, the two-way conversation you're looking for, but it's certainly really great to, uh, you know, help you grasp and, and get a grip on what you might want to contribute to a conversation. And then I think there's lots of opportunities online to engage in, in those sorts of groups. So again, fuck them. I uh, just, they're, they're <laughs> I, irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree, but it does, it does, I can't help but think about the conversations that Jonathan Verveke, um, Jordan Peterson, and Jonathan Pajot have been having in terms of community, in terms of spiritual communities. Mm -hmm. Where does this happen? Where do we uh, come together? You know, I don't know. Um, you know, uh, I'm very deep in the weeds with the Jonathan Verveke and Jonathan Pajot, and I'm sure a, a lot of your audience knows. Uh, much about them but you know they're going through this 
conversation. They're trying to figure out the problem. John Verveke, I like you were having a conversation um, the other day, I forget um, gentleman's name, who was Mark? doing the trans, who's doing the transcriptions of the meaning crisis. Yeah, Mark Mulvey. Yeah. Mark, yeah. Um, I, I thought that conversation was great, but you know, this, the, these, these, uh, Jonathan Pasha, John Verveke, how do you have a religion without a religion? And Jonathan Pajot is saying, okay, I get you could do your esoteric, your perennial philosophy, you can grab all these things, but how does that manifest into a community? How does that manifest and scale everywhere? And it's the same thing. Yes, I could do my perennial philosophy. I could do the reading. I could watch this, but where does that translate into um into a real uh, philosophical community or spiritual community or, and yes, Bitcoin is um, very important. And, but there is a sense in which a Bitcoin meetup is a Bitcoin meetup. It's not a philosophy meetup uh, necessarily, right? And, you know, every, people are there for different mean, uh, for different, um, uh, for different reasons at these Bitcoins. So I don't know how much that fulfills my want for that sense if that makes sense yeah totally i mean see i think i think bitcoin meetups kind of are that place but as you say i mean the ones that you may that may be in your area or whatever you know mm -hmm. maybe there's not a critical mass of people or maybe there's not enough people going yet that can satisfy that interest or need for you but i think like as i said before these are the people grappling with the most relevant thing to understand in the world today, as far as I'm concerned. And so I think it's only a matter of time before the relevance of those larger metaphysical or philosophical questions enter into that discussion. Maybe at the beginning, it's, you know, how do you custody your Bitcoin? How do you run your node? And what are, what's happening in the macroeconomic landscape and all that kind of stuff. But as it begins to kind of, you know, uh, have its effect on you and that transformation that many of us have experienced starts to take place, then these, these questions naturally emerge in your mind. And I think that's, and you know, it's so cool to witness. I don't know how long you've been paying attention to all this stuff, but when you Not talk very about, long, I'm going to be honest. So like I, the Michael Saylor, um, last summer, probably, yeah, probably when I got orange pilled hard. Right. But like, it's pretty, and you know, some people are, are kind of, averse to the idea of a Bitcoin community. But I mean, look, you you, you become as sovereign and independent a, an individual as you possibly can. But I think that puts you in a position to develop extremely strong relationships with people because you're not trying to get something from them, nor are you dependent on them, nor do you have an agenda with them. You're fully secure and integrated in yourself and you're you're establishing a relationship or a connection purely because you're aligned on values or you enjoy each other's company or you know whatever you enjoy the same conversations that you were alluding to and that's that's beautiful and, and what i see in bitcoin is that like a dispersed group of people all over the world that are coalesce you know that are coming together around this thing which yes is a means of coordinating economic activity and all the things that we know money is, but perhaps more than that, it's a representation of certain values. And everyone who's coming around it is, is effectively either implicitly or explicitly saying, I agree that those values should be paramount. And as a result of that, I'm interested in this thing. As a result of that, I'm pursuing an understanding of this thing. As a result of that, I'm trying to 
again, establish that feedback relationship between the two to refine myself. And the outcome of that is all of those people looking out at each other and being like, oh, I see you doing a very similar thing that I'm doing. You're like, and so as a result, you're kind of my friend. Like we, we have that instant connection as a result of that alignment. And what that manifests in is a desire to hang out with each other, a desire to work with each other, a desire to help each other when it's possible. I mean, again, I don't, I don't know how many much of this you've seen, but like over the years, when I see like a, a Bitcoiner say that they're in a pinch, they've had a bad thing happen in their life, they're going through a difficult time, like the outpouring of love and support or even financial aid, depending on the circumstance, is insane. You know, and like, look what's happening with Hodl and not right now. He's being uh, sued by that piece of shit. And and everyone is like coming together, they're donating money, they're, you know, following the trial, they're I'm reaching out to him, like I'm sure in, in massive numbers to, you know, give him support and wish him the best and that kind of stuff. And so it's early, right? And so maybe mm -hmm. it's not, it, it doesn't satisfy all of our need for that meet space connection or those topics that we want to explore. But I certainly think it's coming together rather quickly and it's, it's really beautiful to see. So I'm, I'm incredibly hopeful that as that process continues to take place, it's going to satisfy in the best possible way our needs, you know, for the things that you were alluding to. And I think it will have all the criteria. It, it'll have such a realness, such a truth, such a, uh, you know, a rebellious, a rebelliousness, a, a, a truth to it that those people and those topics and those groups that are being had in those siloed, you know, jurisdictions or institutions or what have you just can't compete with you know and so that's why i think all the all those relevant good conversations inevitably happen here and just as a final point on that like i listen to pajo and peterson and and um Verveke have their you know three-way conversations and it's great right because they're all so brilliant and they're all so well read and all that kind of stuff but i'm still like in in 2022 this conversation is is missing a giant piece if you're not talking about bitcoin that's my opinion, right? I might be a crazy yeah. Bitcoin internet person who's like just completely deluded. But in my opinion, all the themes that they're discussing, and if there's any reason for having those discussions at all, which I think there are, and those reasons have to be real world, real life applications for the improvement of our lives in the world broadly, it's absurd for it not to be like even centered around Bitcoin because I think it's deserving of that. Like I think Bitcoin is... By and large, you know, they're already discussing it in a sense. They just, they don't really know that that, you know, that instantiation of the, the values and the virtues that they're discussing kind of now exists in the world in like in, in real world, quote unquote. Yeah, truly. And I guess a thought on that last point is, you know, they, they seem to discount, they seem Jonathan, they, they seem to, they seem to not quite take in the economic importance or how important economics is on like a you know a metaphysical level a like where does economics affect human action and then but i see sometimes bitcoiners underestimate spirituality Sure. And 
and the metaphysical realm, which Jonathan Pajot and Jordan Pearson. Um, so I, I mean, yeah, you're, you're complete. I, I mean, I completely agree with you that they do discount uh, uh, some of those things that it is crazy that you, we do have, you know, and I look at Bitcoin through all the Jonathan Pajot language and all this stuff and, you know, the connection, heaven and earth, uh, individual, like a point to multiplicity. You know, the Jonathan Pajot says, what is love? Love is the ability for multiplicity to exist within unity. And so how do you not see Bitcoin within that definition? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and this, I'm, I, I've made this point many times before, but I think like we always build ourselves into the world, the physical world, right? Because we're the ones doing the building, right? So, so much of what well, we manifest, the, what, what happens in our minds, we end up manifesting it either individually or collectively. And, and so it's imbued with the reasons, oftentimes the sub, subconscious or unconscious reasons that we may be carrying or holding. Uh, it's imbued with them. And, you know, so, and I think the things that are maximally imbued with the most fundamental quote unquote, or the highest values or the, you know, the divine aspects of ourself or whatever you want to call it, those things become um, the things of the greatest interest or the things of the greatest value or the things of the greatest intrigue. And they, they end up being in some capacity, a tool or a mechanism or a symbol for helping us to orient ourselves, you know, for if, if it is just this constant feedback loop between the interior landscape and the manifest world, right. And the one is causing the other and the other, and, and one is refining the other. And it's just, you know, constantly, then it makes sense that those things would, would accrue so much value because they're so there's like such a pure distillation of what is most fundamental or good about us. And I do think I, I you know, I, I often make the case that that's what's going on with Bitcoin. And so I think, you know, for someone who's so um, informed and thoughtful about the symbolic world, for example, uh, I, you know, I, I think you really have to start considering that and let yourself believe, because a lot of times I think these people look for, you know, the deep insights about life or, you know, spirituality and stuff in old books of philosophy or theology or symbolism and archaic, you know, this and that. And it's almost like it can't come from like a technological innovation. That's kind of a separate thing. That's like, that's like our mathematic and engineering minds that are trying to make life more convenient and easy, but it's not really the same as like, uh, you know, old esoteric, hermetic, alchemical, religious symbolism that, you know, that they then try to kind of interpret the meaning of, but I don't think that's correct. I mean, I, I think everything is a symbol of something like we were just saying, like we build into our implements, whether they be tools, symbols, or anything else, an aspect of ourself. And I think they should all be, you could, you could, they're all deserving of, of inquiry to try to extrapolate or interpret what it is they represent and you know us in the bitcoin scene have been trying to do that a lot with bitcoin because it's so compelling and the more we do that with bitcoin the more it reinforces at a minimum that pursuit but it seems to reinforce some of the insights that we've been generating as a result and so um i think just just to say i think those guys need to do it but i also think there's this i i oftentimes listen to 
well, for a long time, I, I've been drawn to like the really thoughtful people on YouTube for lack of a better term, right? And those three that we've just mentioned are are definitely kind of top of the list, at least, you know, in the last couple of years. And um, I do wonder if when you're so thoughtful, when you're so sm- uh, quote unquote smart for lack of a better term, does it make it harder to see the simple solution? Like, have you convinced yourself that it needs to be like a very complex answer and you need to consult all the wisdom of all the ages and you need to know all the different writers and thinking to, to piece together some complex answer to what is an incredibly deep and, and profound and complex problem of like, you know, human existence and human action and human coordination and, and cooperation and that kind of stuff. I, I, I get the feeling sometimes that's the case with, with that crowd when, which, you know, so when a, a, a simple, or you might more properly, more accurately call it elegant solution emerges, and it doesn't necessarily require all that context for, for, for it to be true and, and for it to be the solution that you might've been seeking, but maybe you pass up, maybe you miss it because it's too simple, something like that. And well, yeah, there's a lot of thing to say to that. And not only is it too simple, it could also be heretical in a way, if you listen to Eric Kaysen talking about the, you know, the, the, how could Jonathan Pazzo even put that into his world? It would be impossible, right? Right. I mean, he would have to, yeah, exactly. He wouldn't, he, there would be no way he could see that if that is truly maybe what's happening um, with Bitcoin. But, but even that, like, you know, Albert Einstein said, you know, you can explain things only as simply as they can be explained. You can't, you can't simplify a complex thing or else it becomes something else. You can't distill it more than it can be distilled. So you could do it the other way too, where you oversimplify the complexity and then you actually miss the complexity through your oversimplification of Mm -hmm. that problem. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I I hear that as being like, you can tie yourself in knots unnecessarily. Like, you know, and I think that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at with some of them. And I, and again, I'm not trying to shit on them because I love their work and I, I enjoy listening to their discourse. Um, But it was interesting to see um, Peterson's response to, to Rob's thing in Miami Because Mm -hmm. basically, you know, Rob did a great job of like step by step going through the different premises or axioms or, you know, of of what was going on with Bitcoin. And Peterson kind of plugged along and effectively agreed to each uh, successive assertion. And then at the end, you know, basically his response was like, I'm hesitant because it's too good to be true. Like it, it, everything, everything logically stacks up, but it can't possibly be basically so we shall see and and fair enough right because when when you're encountering something that seems so impossible or impossibly good i think you're a certain degree of skepticism is is necessary i mean that skepticism is what causes you not to be led astray in so many other you know instances where maybe you're wondering if something so good has emerged so so i think it's good um, and then all of us just have to decide for ourselves, like, 
what's what's your approach going to be? Are you going to act as though it's true? You know, that's Peterson's common refrain in reference to his belief in God. Are you going to act as though it's true? Because that's really all that matters. Or are you going to reserve acting in that way until what other form of evidence or criteria is met for you? You know, what would that be? And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a, I think that's a fair or interesting question to ask someone like that. Like, is it a number of years in existence? Is it, a, is it, a, is it a market cap? Is it a number of people use it? Is it ubiquity of, of, you know, uh, point of use in commerce? Like what, what would be, what would allow you to kind of believe something of that scale? And that's a tricky one because belief is such a powerful thing. Yeah, completely. And, you know, it goes back to what you were, you were saying, like, oh, the, you know, the difference between the ancient esoteric texts and the ancient mysticism and our current, you know, post-enlightenment, modern, uh, quantitative assessments of mathematical, um, uh, you know, uh, empiricism, And I, from my perspective, we culturally and societally have uh, an improper ratio of these two things. And I think you would, I think you would agree. I think a lot of your uh, discussions and your podcasts and a lot of people you talk with is, it's also in that, it's also in that camp in which we actually um, we need to kind of put aside some of the quantification because what happens with Bitcoin, how do you quantify something that is going to suck in everything else, right? You're saying you, you look from the perspective of your um, view. So all of our modern tools, our statistical probabilities, all this quantification is not going to help us understand what bitcoin might truly be especially you know eric case i really love his i love his thinking and your thinking as well you know like you could not come to the eric case conclusion through statistical probabilities and so you need to go into those ancient texts you need to go see what what is the nature of a prophecy what is the nature of a revelation? What are, the, what, are these, what are these words and what do they mean in their context to be able to look into our own time and then evaluate if Bitcoin fulfills these ideas? Yeah, I think that's extremely well said, well put. And, and that's the endeavor, right? And, and that's also why there's an element of that that's also challenging, not just because you're doing what has always been a very difficult thing, which is broadly speaking, trying to find truth or discern truth. And, you know, so basically the the main enterprise since, you know, we've had uh, records of of knowing what we've been up to, at least in our writing and that kind of stuff and our symbology or symbolism. But, um, but also, as you say, we, we exist in an era where so much of that has been haphazardly discarded, you know, those sorts of pursuits and, and those sorts of questions. And so not only do you have to, you know, go through the work of the, the typical hard work, 
but you've also got to kind of pierce the the cultural veneer of absurdity uh, in relation to those things. And you, you got to be careful with that, right? Because even if you can do so, even if you have the kind of the courage and the gusto to do so, you want to be careful that that same disagreeableness doesn't cause you to overweight what you discover in that realm and, and, and presume that the balance that you're trying to strike is like how that might pervert or throw off your assessment or your perception of the proper balance, you know? And so, and because everything, things so often kind of swing, you know, the pendulum so often swings from one side to the next and that momentum or, or whatever energy or inertia is carrying one of them can maybe cause you to underweight or overweight, you know, the other. And so it's part of me, like, what's the, what's the answer ever going to, there is no answer. Right. And this, this yeah. is why like these conversations are really interesting. And I, I don't just think, you know, they're just, uh, for fun. Like, I, I do think there's tremendous value to an individual to be able to ground themselves and orient themselves in a greater understanding or perception of truth, and then to engage in those things that are of like nature so that they can basically build and experience a better life for themselves. And that happens through better connections and relationships with other people that happens through better being better able to mediate self and world and the chaos that the world represents. That means, you know, being in a better position to manifest the experiences that you deem valuable, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, and I think, so I think there's a, it, it's a legitimate pursuit, but again, I think we have to be careful not to hope or ask that that pursuit delivers more than it ought to, because I think a lot of this is doing that and then allowing the actions that are imbued with that understanding of those values or truths to manifest things naturally. And like, I don't mean to sound like, you know, like a woo woo crystal person, but well, uh, the Bitcoin phenomenon is a great point. You know, you were saying like, where, all, where are these philosophers like congregating? Is it not the universities? And don't I kind of have to look to them for that sort of stuff? Like, I think by virtue of what Bitcoin is and what it's drawing out of people, we'll see how it all coalesces. And it may not be along the lines of what I expect or you expect or anybody else, but I think it probably will be more truthful or good than what I expect because it's being generated out of what seem to be very pristine or paramount principles or values. And so we'll see what kind of sim sim symbolism emerges. We'll see what kind of narrative emerges. We'll see what kind of social or organizations emerge. We'll see what kind of art emerges and you know you get glimpses of that now and it's it's awesome you know that and and yeah. the thing that's that i find so great is not just uh the productions of what's being inspired in all that but that so much inspiration is happening that that this thing and whatever values um are kind of fundamental to it it's just inspiring so much from people so much output in terms of work, so much sacrifice in terms of their time and their effort, so much creative um, inspiration. And it's just the beginning. I mean, it's so, so, so early. And we're seeing what, what this is, again, inspiring in people. And you run that clock forward 10 years and it's really, I think, unimaginable what it's gonna be. And so it's better not to have a vision and, and try to 
actualize it perhaps, but try to refine yourself down to the most fundamental truths or principles that you can and allow your action to be dictated by that and kind of accept it, you know, along the lines of what Peterson often says, which is, you know, speak the truth and whatever happens is the best thing that can happen. I think that's, that's, that statement can be uh, misinterpreted because it's a little bit overly simplified, but I think we both understand the point he's making there, which is kind of like embody the virtue or virtues that you think are most valuable, important, and whatever that leads to in terms of your action and the outcomes, definite, definitionally, that's the best that that can happen rather than you kind of contorting the thing that inspires your action to fit to some imagined better future, which again is predicated on what is basically, you know, predicated on your desire, your insecurity or or whatever, but how could it be predicated on anything better than this enterprise of discovering what is the most valid ideas, principles, values to orient yourself by? And I, I, I don't think there's any better way to do so. No, I, I completely, I mean, I completely agree. Um, and, but it's, it's, we're using all these words I, you know, like truth, right? Like you said, it's hard. Like these things are hard. Truth, <laughs> value, all of these things are incredibly difficult. And especially from, at least from my experience of like growing up in this uh, modern world, I'm still, I'm mid twenties. I'm still a young guy. I feel like I'm just kind of coming into adulthood really. And I, I, I feel the, the poverty of my, or I felt the poverty of my language. I felt the poverty of my understanding of what these things even, even mean or how to even feel them within my own life or how do I even interact with them? So it, because all of it, it seems like, you know, I just, I look at our modern world and we are, we are, there's it's a postmodern world we live in there the, your truth is your truth there is no truth outside of your personal mm. truth there mm. and so all of these ideas the principles all of these things transcend individual experience although they're intermingled with in, uh, individual experience, but we live in a world where there is no transcendent uh, principle, or at least so, uh, you know, sociologically we live in that world, and socially we live in that world for the majority of, uh, for the majority of us. So for me, I guess there has to be an a, a intellectual framework for me to really believe in truth, right? I can't just say, oh, this is truth and I'm gonna believe that because this is truth. It's like, no, it actually has to be truth. And then how do I actually find that truth? And who do I listen to for that truth? Yeah, no, it's a great point. And I, I would agree that, or, and I felt the same in, at various points in my life that you know, the, the type of individual that this global culture, broadly speaking, that we currently have is is producing is impoverished in many ways, you know, is impoverished in terms of intellectual stimulation, is impoverished in, as you just alluded to, the kind of uh, understanding or relationship with 
quote unquote truth. It's impoverished, you know, in emotional Love, ways. Arts. Yeah, totally. Nutrition, you know, fiat food yeah. and that whole that whole bag. Like I value. Mean, it, it, yeah, in 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 many conceivable ways, right? And again, like yeah. every time I say shit like this, beauty and truth and goodness still breaks through every day. And it breaks through the cracks of broken individuals and impoverished individuals and struggling individuals. And and actually that makes me think of a you, you had a great tweet on July 16th. I'm gonna read it. Um those who might be tempted to give way to despair should realize that nothing accomplished in this order can ever be lost, that confusion, error, and darkness can win the day only apparently and in a purely ephemeral way, that all partial and transitory disequilibriums must perforce contribute towards the great equilibrium of the whole, and that nothing can ultimately prevail against the power of truth. That's some beautiful fucking shit. Did you, is that a quote or that. did you write that's that? That's a quote. No, okay. that's, a, that's a book. Uh, the problem uh, or the modern crisis. It's a great book. I'll, I will. Uh, you have a link below it. I'm assuming it goes. Yeah, to maybe the, click that. Yeah, you'll, you'll be off on that. It'll be archived. Uh, loading. The crisis of the modern world. There you go. Yeah um by the same author east and west transpired by william massey anyway jonathan yeah, pacho recommendation oh it's it's by renee Guinan. Yeah. yeah that's yeah i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to look into that but that, i mean that's exactly first of all i mean that's such a great great quote um but it's exactly what we're talking about but um and this is the the this is kind of why we have these discussions like why and how and when and what way did things go off course? You know, like why, how did we end up in a situation that way where truth has become a completely relative notion and that in conjunction with probably other changes and other um, maybe false assumptions or distortions in perspective or whatever you want to call it have produced the individuals that it's produced and the institutions and the society, et cetera. And as you know, as in Bitcoin land, of course, we're off to note that fiat money and the institutions that popped up as a result of that have a a big role to play in the blame of all that but also we we have to come back to the eternal and inevitable responsibility of every individual regardless of their circumstance not to be victims of their circumstance and it's fi i mean hard as fuck to do that mm -hmm. right because your circumstance can be incredibly imposing and and it it bends and contorts and molds you to fit it or the the challenges it represents can be insurmountable and in, in some places like literally you know in terms of authoritarian regimes or whatever like war zones and that kind of stuff where it's just like it can consume you literally like end your life but but still like it that's the thing that can never be forfeited right like that responsibility and i think the the game is to never forfeit that responsibility always attempt to be the one that's dictating you know your perspective and what is true and what is valuable and what is good for yourself and hey ho what do you know how like how does one do that well if you're saying that the manifestations of culture might intermittently not be reflective or not be conducive to flourishing or goodness or beauty or what have you well what's the what uh 
what do you use to establish what it should be? Like, what is the kind of, where is the relationship that helps you elucidate what those things actually are or should be for you? And where are the symbols? I think, yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, religion and symbols and story have performed that function throughout time, you know, and, and that's why they're considered more eternal than the ephemeral manifestations of circumstance that might crop up from time to time for a variety of reasons. And one of those reasons being a lack of appreciation for the former, a lack of uh, ascribing the, the necessary value and importance to the former. And so I think part of the reason that we're in the circumstance we're in today is because for whatever reason, technological uh, you know, advancement and the associated hubris and arrogance and this notion of chronological progress through time and, and, you know, and the, the corruptions and horrors of religious institutions throughout the ages, like all that stuff and more has come together to create like a schism between that system of value that's supposed to keep us tethered and oriented to quote unquote truth, no matter what, and be used by us to help us retain that agency for determining what is right and good and true and how we should be acting in the world. And the manifest world of circumstance and materiality and, and all that kind of stuff. There seems to be a greater gap between the two than perhaps many, many times in history. And I think we're, we're seeing the results of that in, in people's lives. And like, like you said, you, you, I think that's a great term. You use poverty, but people are perhaps more impoverished than ever. And this is why on this show, on this, like in the discussions I've been having, I keep bringing up the idea of progress. Like how should we be defining progress? Because I don't think that it's just de facto assumed in the modern world today. We're more, we're more advanced. We're more progressive. Like we're better off now than we've ever been at any point in the past, basically. And I don't think that's a correct assumption or a correct assertion, but the, but it, there remains an important question to be asked, which is, well, what are the constituents of progress? Like what, what should be uh, a part of the calculus when you're determining progress? And that's a trickier question than it seems on the surface. Um, but I think for all those reasons, we, we're kind of in this mess and people are feeling a sense of impoverishment or even worse, they're kind of, they're not aware of the impoverished. Confused confused and, and, and not, not aware and not able to notice the, the, the poverty that they're feeling. And instead it just shows up in unconscious behavior of various kinds and destructive behavior and unhealthy behavior. And, you know, my, my last point on this spiel is that this is one of the things that makes me so hopeful and energized about Bitcoin, because again, like it always just comes back to action. Like you can be super articulate and super smart and you can like be revered for your intellectual prowess and all this kind of stuff doesn't matter what how are you acting and what kind of a world is that manifesting when you do so in in conjunction or cooperation and coordination with other people in the world and i think the the most uh legitimate critique of the modern notions of progress and value and truth and religion and all this kind of stuff is in what I think we're both kind of saying is the suboptimal experience of being an individual in the world today, you know? But I think alternatively, when we look at what's happening 
around the Bitcoin phenomenon, it's like, well, what kind of changes and transformations and action in people is it fostering and facilitating? And from my vantage point, which albeit is definitely biased, uh, seems to be very positive and very good and not one of poverty, one of abundance and stimulation and energy and and gratitude and generosity and all those virtues that we would probably agree are good. And so that's, you know, the proof is there in my opinion. And um, what's great is that all of those virtues or that transformation is attached to what is probably the strongest incentive that exists in society and culture, which is the incentive around money. And so, you know, like, cause I would often think in the past that how do you turn this ship around? Like how does it, you know, you could have Jordan Peterson on stage every night for the rest of his life, but that just, <laughs> it doesn't scale, you know, and, and still yeah. it also doesn't have the real impact. Like you really love what he says. You agree with it and you go back to your life and you do certain things, you make your room, you dress better, you're a, you show up better. But if, if the way that the world and the system works that you're interacting with isn't kind of conducive or receptive to those things, or at least not optimally. So, you know, can, can it really effectuate lasting change? I think the answer is yes. Like, cause again, it's back to our behavior. And so if we all change tomorrow, we get a different world, but in terms of like how complex and abstracted the world has become, can it work on that scale? And I think the answer is maybe, but if we can, nestle within the most powerful incentive in society also the greatest virtues then we got then that's a way smoother and easier way to get to the supposed ends that we're discussing and we we think are better yeah uh, yeah that was incredible uh yeah and i mean and just what you said there right like the trojan horse asked like it's hard to it's hard to, this is where Eric Kaysen sounds like the most sane person you would ever <laughs> listen to because it's actually just such an insane thing to happen that how can, how can that not be a part of your hypothesis of a, a, a eschatological phenomena within itself or something that defines an epoch or an era or a uh, a celestial, um, you know, what, what like a celestial time period. You know, where we're entering the 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 sign of Aquarius. We're leaving Pisces. Whatever. And so many great writers. You know, Jung has this. Uh, Carl Jung in his book Ion. You know, he talks about like the alchemical. Um, the alchemical literature that talked about the coming of Christ and uh, all the prophetic, um, all the prophetic writings, ancient writings that talked about the coming of this time. And it goes back to what you were talking about progress. You know, we think we have this like up in the, to the right arrow, like we're uh, like, we're watching some uh, price charter, but and it's absolutely uh, ridiculous. And, and once you start to question that, you understand the cyclical nature, I guess, of events. And so that 
there isn't just a slow progress up. There are these moments where there are great leap forwards. Mm -hmm. And there are these moments where there are long plateaus. Um, yeah, I, it, Bitcoin is, um, it's solving an ancient problem. It's not solving a modern problem, right? We, we think about, oh, like zoom out of the chart, you know, don't look at the price, zoom out, let's zoom out 10 years. But then it's like, okay, zoom out, um, zoom out 700 years. I have, I have a quote here from uh, Dante. So in the Paradiso, so the divine comedy. Um, and he says, uh, Canto 19, uh, line 120. It says, there shall be seen the signs, the signs, it's a French name, grief for the sin of that debaser of the currency whose death is waiting for him in a pig's skin. And if you go look at the, uh, the, the notes for that canto, he says the same. For France, generally that debaser of the currency. He debased the coinage to finance his wars and brought misery to France. Dante, it is well to remember, punished counterfeiters, not out of love of money, but because a sound coinage was an essential principle of social order. And so, yeah, I don't know how to tie these thoughts together. You have any, uh, you think about something right now? <laughs> well, first question, when, when was that written? 1300, 1200, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a perennial problem, right? The, the, the function and the benefit that money conveys, uh, but the commensurate incentive to, to corrupt it or game it uh, outside the instantiated rules, let's say, of it, that that conveys as well. And like, you know, history up until the metals, well, I mean, in any, in any environment, geographical environment, time period or whatever, it's always, you're always trying to find the thing that can perform that role and be least impervious to corruption, you know, and um, and you know most of it, most people understand that. Like anyone who's who has a look at monetary history or who reads the Bitcoin Standard, like it's pretty, it's pretty easy to make sense of that, and it like you can understand why it's important. But the real kicker is like, and this is why Rob's show is so aptly named. Like, well, why does the idea of money emerged in the first place and how are we constituting our relationship with that idea such that it brings about the benefit that, that it does. Like we all, you know, implicitly agree to sacrifice ourselves to it, i.e. give away our time and energy in order to receive that thing. And in proportion to how many other people also agree to establish that type of relationship with it it derives ever greater benefit but can it can can it contain our our collective sacrifice at each you know at whatever scale and what are the the different ways that it can be corrupted and what does that corruption actually mean like if and it's so profound right because if if we're saying that that relationship that we have with it that gives it its value and its function is one of basically subordinating our, ourselves to it so that it gains that power and that function, you know, ourselves, you know, very, on a very deep level, then if it's corrupted, 
And especially if it's done kind of like surreptitiously or un unbeknownst to us, what's actually happening there? Like our, our, our self is being siphoned away in a way. Our agency is being siphoned away. Our part of the, what, whatever power we have and whatever um, that relationship of sacrifice and subordination and giving of ourselves, you know, whatever fundamentally constitutes that is being cheated in a way. And, you know, no wonder that as a result of that throughout the ages, people recognized that and attempted to, you know, stop it from happening in various ways and punished it from, you know, if it, if it did occur, if people did engage in that and back to our prior conversation, why it, it would, if, if it is able to persist, why it would generate people that feel so impoverished, not only in their financial wealth, right? In the, in their capacity to use their accumulated savings to move through the world and actualize whatever, you know, values or, or demands they have, but something more fundamental than that of a more fundamental impoverishment, which, you know, we, we discussed already, but of course, right. In that context that it would generate an outcome like that. And which is why it's so, so important that it, it is stopped and so magnificent that it seems like a way to stop that, that can't itself be stopped has emerged, which, you know, and, and again, we, in that context, what do you call such a thing that has such a, a saving quality, right. That allows that, that permits people to be saved from their own, the, the impoverishment of who and what they most fundamentally are. Well, I mean, the savior archetype and narrative is pretty ubiquitous throughout history and it's ubiquitous kind of for a similar reason. So even if we're wrong in all of these illusions and analogies that we make to those characters, you can understand or at least forgive people that make them because there's, uh, there is a similar quality or there's a similar thing happening. And I guess the question that we're trying to, or the questions that we like to discuss is how similar, you know? Yeah, how similar and how should one act if that is true? How, if, if Bitcoin is this, um, I guess that's, that's my, my thinking too, is this, if this is true, if this is true, if it, if it Im is imbued with these, which it seems to be, uh, you could check the code, um, then how, I guess it's just a personal thing, I, like how much do I, it seems like I should be sacrificing everything. <laughs> But, but then, you know, you get, like you said earlier, right? You have to be careful of where you're, where you're making that sacrifice and what you're making that sacrifice for. And you have to be sure that you're making uh, the proper sacrifice because you can get um, led astray. And it makes me think of the Bible and it makes me think of, uh, idolatry versus true religion. Yeah. Like, how do you fall? How do you protect yourself from being idolatrous and maintain your relationship 
to true religion and truly pointing to the highest. Yeah, perennial issue. And that's certainly one of the critiques of the you know Christian Bitcoiner cohort that they um that they levy at people that well that some of the the, the ideas that I engage in, you know, mm-hmm. that's one of their common refrains is like, you know, don't don't engage in idolatry. Don't don't mix up the you know, something that's really, really good and really, really valuable for the thing that's most good and most valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, and I'm, I appreciate that, uh, that argument and I appreciate the input, but I don't think it's so simple. I don't, I think a lot of the stuff in all religious traditions, as it's been written down and translated and handed down and changed and inclusions and exclusions and all that kind of stuff throughout the era, the, the, the years, mm-hmm. I think there is a, a danger to, well, interpretation is always difficult. Yeah. And there's, I think there's definitely a danger in that category of understanding as well with how you interpret those things. If you interpret everything absolutely literally, if you allow for some literal interpretation, some metaphorical, you know, it, it, where do you draw the line and and then how do you make it cohere and stack up logically with other systems that we're doing the same that assert the same you know that's in another place and time in another language with other symbols and other traditions but who are basically speaking about similar ideas or they're grappling with trying to find the language and the words and the the narrative to contextualize and convey these grand metaphysical ideas well how can you logically discount their assertion that theirs is true and you in or how can you assert the dominance or the 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 fundamental truth of your claim versus theirs you know and and Mm -hmm. i don't think that can really be reconciled but i i think broadly speaking i mean this is a very complicated subject and i've been doing a lot of writing on it lately but but broadly Mm. speaking i think humans do this we we, like it's a part of our makeup which which again speaks to kind of the absurdity of the the issue that we're encountering in modern culture where we've seemingly de facto agreed that you can just do away with these pursuits not everyone of course but like you know the the modern sort of progressive person is like oh religion is so stupid you know i'm 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 into science um, but like, that's you, trust you go the science, an- trust the science. Yeah. Yeah. But you go anywhere, like anywhere where you can find evidence of human settlement since time immemorial, this is an aspect of encou- engaging the world, right? The, un- the unseen forces at play, if you, if you want to call it that from gravity to God, right? Like all of it, mm-hmm. because we, we, we've always appreciated there's more than just what's in front of our eyes and we need to have a way to contextualize, grapple with, account for that in some way. And depending on where that's taking place, depending on the sophistication, the technological implements of the culture, all that kind of stuff, the language and the symbols and the ways in which those things are articulated are going to have differences. But I think what you know a lot of people are doing these days is they're trying to peel back the onion a little bit and look at the, the the layers beneath that fundamentally connect that fundamentally are 
probably attempting to or referring to very, very similar things. But given the nature and of the differences between cultures are communicating it, construing it and, rep and representing it in a different way. And, um, and that's, you know, I, I think, I think that's probably my current position on things, but even that doesn't answer all the questions. And so, you know, this is why we sit down and, and uh, pull our hair out and, and try to write coherent, you know, thoughts about what might be going on there. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, you're, you're completely right. Um, and, you know, you're talking about these, you know, peeling back the onion layers, peeling back the onion. This just seems like the fundamental task from my perspective. It's just like, right, you can't, you can't measure the fiat world has completely distorted every single value signal, every single price signal, every single. So we can't gain truth through looking at this onion layer. We have to pull them back. There's no, there's no moving forward without scraping the layers of paint that have been put onto our uh, fiat um, world. And I think that is why the Jonathan Verveke and Jonathan Pajo and Jordan Peterson, they're so incredibly important. And I don't know if this, if you were saying this, you, you know, you talked about action. Um, action is the most fundamental, important, um, is, the, is what is the most important thing you can do. But action also, in my opinion, Mark had a great point, you know, we need to redefine these words. We have forgotten, like, what, what is action? Is contemplation action? Is thinking action? Um, because you can't, from my perspective, you can't have action without thinking or without contemplation. And again, you said, yeah, we need to make room for these things that exist outside of our material existence, but we are so thoroughly ingrained within the materialism that we can't find our way out without pulling back these layers. And I don't see a simple way of doing that. Well, Bitcoin seems like a fairly simple way of, of having that happen even because I, I, I agree with your, your point, right? Like mm. the, the, the action is preceded by a thought, an impulse, a, a demand, a desire that is preceded by some sort, you know, like if, if you keep going back, there's something that's animating the thoughts that lead to the actions. And I, th I, I kind of think that that's what I, or, and I think in this conversation we've been referring to when we refer to like paramount values or principles or, or most fundamental, right? So like they somehow lead through our thoughts into our actions. And that's why I think it's right to say that we, we become the values that we hold in highest regard, because that's literally what inspires the actions that we take, which have material impact in the manifest world in some, in some way. And, you know, so, and this is where perhaps the contention is like between the stereotypical modern that we've been discussing and maybe a, a uh, historical counterpart is that one basically says those things that are most fundamentally 
determinants for action or predicates for action, they don't really exist. Like there is no, like, Good, like you true, said, beautiful. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And so, you know, and I, you might say, well, then how is your action determined? And I was like, well, I just decide for myself. Well, how do you make that decision? Oh, well, you know, like it, I don't. You ask I, why three times and it's over. Right. And this is why I think the, the, the critique is that like this culture, it's relative, it's overly relativistic, right? It's always, mm. there's no central origin point. There's no initial cause, something like that. Whereas the, I think the religious assertions, again, with all the valid criticisms and baggage that the institutions have accumulated, it's a more logical assertion to say there's some sort of pre-existing something, and that gives cause to sequential expressions of that pre-existing something, and that helps us to orient ourselves to determine action, all that kind of stuff, and which is why the pursuit of understanding that absolute, that initial cause, that eternal thing has been instrumental part and parcel with human development since the beginning of time, because there's a recognition of the central importance of, of that. Uh, and maybe, well, part of the modern, what we've been, what we've been asserting is a critique of, you know, the modern individual is that there's, there's that cord has been snipped. Right. And as a result of that, you know, to use metaphorical language, they've been kind of just floating in no man's land. They're, they've become untethered from the proper like values that actually are true. It, exactly. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I agree with that, um, but it's a it's a hell of a task to sift through. What's been accumulated in culture and not just in every aspect of culture from technology to religious thought to philosoph philosophical thought and everything in between to try to gain greater clarity on what that kind of most fundamental cause or value or values might be. But again, I think the reason why we're always, we're, we seem to be inevitably like culturally speaking, not every individual drawn mm -hmm. to it is because there's a recognition of, of the value of it. And that's even, that's something, you know, so every single step here needs to be explained because when I say value, people say, well, what do you mean? Like, I'm going to be richer in my life. I'm going to have more status. I'm going to be praised more. I'm going to be appreciated more. And so like, what does it mean to, to use the term you just brought up? What does it mean to be optimally integrated? Like, what does that experience look like? And what does that experience deliver? And I'm starting to appreciate more and more and, you know, still, you know, not much to be discerned still, but the, the wealth that is experienced when a more high fidelity relation is established between what seems to be what is most fundamental. Um, and it doesn't have anything to do with excessive material wealth. Um, I mean, it, in many cases, it's an, it's an inborn sustenance. It's a sustaining feeling of, of, of peace and acceptance almost. And then, you know, and then you use that sentiment and that orientation to, to do things in the world. 
imperfectly, obviously for, yeah. you know, for forever. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm butchering this explanation, but uh, I guess suffice it to say that like the idea of what wealth is, is being reconstituted in my mind as a result of these considerations. Totally. And, you know, we talk about riches and wealth and especially in our modern culture, this seems to be, uh, to use the Jonathan Verveke, Jordan Peterson, Jonathan Pajot language, uh, the telos, the teleology, the purpose of life is to go and uh, acquire as much material goods as you or uh, material goods or even material feelings, you know, experiences, these things that bring you pleasure, these things that bring you um, and so how do you even understand what is a value if you believe that the value is supposed to be a value towards a certain purpose? So what is our purpose? What is, what is does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to exist? Because Plato says, you know, nothing comes into this world for itself. There's nothing that comes into this world for itself. And we believe, at least the modern culture, that we are here for ourselves, especially Western culture as well. And that even, there's, a, there's thoughts within Bitcoin in which you know, there's this um, ultimate sovereignty, ultimate freedom, right? And freedom is a very uh, tricky, another very tricky um, word to understand because freedom is not buying not an ability to buy 20 different pairs of sneakers this is not freedom right but this is how we are associating you know i can walk outside and um you know uh, i i can't uh, i can't finish my degree but um you you are free to choose these things within uh this boundary but i think about bitcoin and all of this stuff seems very paradoxical. Um, now, I, so sorry, I'm 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 straying my uh, thought. Uh, no purpose, freedom. Um, you know, I I really I think we I don't know I don't have an answer either for the for um, what these values are, but there is something beyond it in which we need to understand what are we using with what we value? What is the point of having valuable things? What is the purpose of having valuable things um, in our life? And I think we're completely dislodged from that. And then these, right, it's like a hierarchy, it's a pyramid. So as soon as you screw up, just like the fiat system, as soon as you screw up the price signals, as soon as you start printing money at the top, the Cantillion effect, kicks in and everything else cascading is completely fucked because of these of this discrepancy at the top Mm -hmm. and um and freedom falls in there um uh, we we completely disregard a progress all of these things we're talking about are completely um askew from what it seems to be because i think about the think about the idea of freedom for a sec i think about bitcoin and I think about, you know, Bitcoin brings freedom. And I think it does. And what does that mean? How does Bitcoin bring freedom? I think about Bitcoin brings freedom through a constraint. 
Bitcoin brings freedom because it is maxed out at 25, 21 million. So, so is that truly freedom or is that a constraint? And does constraint actually bring you freedom? And if so, how do we integrate these concepts, these patterns into our life and interpret the world through these so we can be like, so people can be like, hey, Bitcoin, those are matching up with the patterns of true life. That is why it's good. And this is why it's good. And this is why it has value. And I just feel like we're very far off from that. Um, obviously, we're very far off from, uh, from some of those points. And I, how, do we get, how do we get back to there? And like you said, it's a crazy arduous task to go through all the text and all the, and it's basically impossible. So how do we scale it? And, you know, I'm, I'm finishing my thought. I'm, I, it's a rhetorical question. It's like Bitcoin, this is why Bitcoin is so amazing because it's like, I think about Jonathan Pajot's um, thought with John Frank. He says, hey, go to church, you know, because church scales. So church and theology or, you know, religion in general, whatever culture you're in, go to your religious institution because it will attract the peak intellectual and metaphysical philosophies on life, but it will also gather the bottom and it will also gather the people who are the most effective and they will find solace in church and they don't need to go through the um the the perennial philosophy they don't need to and bitcoin offers this as well which is very fascinating is you can bitcoin scales like church and unlike many other institutions that we have um within our within our world so totally. i i mean yeah. What do you think everyone hanging out on Bitcoin Twitter, sharing their insights and experiences around Bitcoin is about? I mean, this is the, this is the other fast, you know, fun intellectual pursuit or experiment is to look at different actions, different activities. And again, like we were saying before, can you peel back the onion a bit, bring them to what's fundamentally happening and can you recognize when that's happening in other places, maybe for different reasons, maybe maybe for similar reasons? Um, but I, I think like people come together on Bitcoin Twitter and they 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 try to learn, they try to engage in conversation, they try to be in the presence of this mysterious, phenomenal, uh, valuable, perhaps most valuable thing. And as a result of doing that, again, they're, they're, they're kind of, their mind is being tuned towards the top of the hierarchy, the most valuable thing, the thing that I'm increasingly drawn to devote myself to, to contribute to, to welcome into my life in various ways. And as you said, make connections with others doing the same. So you're kind of like, you're taking it you, from the top and you're taking it from the bottom. You become the body of Bitcoin where they would say, you go to church, you become the body of Christ, right, you become right. the body of Bitcoin. And and to your question, like, you know, what is one to do to scale? I mean, this this is what is the best about all this. Like, all this is just for fun. Like, I, I do this because I love having these conversations. I love meeting other Bitcoins. I don't give a fuck otherwise. Um, mm -hmm. But because the, the thing, the way that this happens is just simply by every single individual making a choice to maximize the the offering that Bitcoin is and bring it 
you know, to, to maximize the benefit that Bitcoin represents in their life, let's say, right? And, and it, it offers a certain number of actions, right? And if you take them in the proper way, and if you, you do so optimally, then as you said, what you're delivered is a profound form of freedom that's never been on offer before. And in an era where that is so rare and that is so um, anti kind of counter to the interpretation of freedom or, the, or what's currently allowed or being propagated and all the different problems that that creates, it's kind of a transcendent uh, spiritual act to, to do that. And again, I'm not worried at all because one, that's offered to everybody on the same terms. And two, it's so evident that when you, when you take that offering, when you commit yourself to that offering, when you, invite, you, know, when you bring it into your life, the results are so tremendously positive uh, that I'm like, oh, well, it's just a matter of time then because you know, people might not care about economics or monetary history, any of that kind of stuff, but people want good, healthy, happy, uh, happy productive, loving, beautiful lives. Everybody wants that. And this seems to be something that's producing them at scale. And so happy days. We just, we, we just do our best to do that for ourselves and then establish relationships with whomever else that's doing that as well as and when we want to. And I think that's how we win, basically. But we do have to take advantage of what is being offered and not abdicate responsibility and not take the easy road and that kind of stuff, right? Like a, a very simple example would just be like paper Bitcoin, right? Like an ETF, like th that has mm -hmm. nothing to do with anything that we're discussing here at all. Mm -hmm. That is a, a paper fiat gain in your brokerage account. That means nothing. And it also doesn't contribute to the value that is Bitcoin. We were referencing earlier, like money gains its value because of that kind of sacrifice, the, the, the relationship that people establish to it. That's not happening when, you know, someone is just centralizing it and offering you paper exposure, not to mention the fact that you're just creating another massive honeypot that is a phone call away from being confiscated, which is completely counter to the, the whole reason yeah. why this thing exists in the first place. So, but I mean, that's, that's why I have so much hope because it's such a compelling, it's an offer you can't refuse and it's available to everybody. So when you have the, you know, the combination of those two things, how could, you know, unless something dramatic and catastrophic, you know, happens, I, I, I think it's as close to inevitable as a thing can be. And, and you know, one of the points you made uh, when you were speaking a second ago was, you know, people try to get freedom through the accumulation of 20 pairs of sneakers or the Lambos or the whatever. And I think that speaks to the universal appeal of freedom. Like it, you know, I always kind of struggle with um, discerning the differences between things like freedom, truth, and love. Like there's, I feel like they overlap tremendously, if if not. Trinity. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it has, it's a universal value because what it asserts, I mean, fundamentally, it's just that what we were saying earlier about you being the one who decides for yourself how you're going to act in every moment, right? Don't, you want that? Is that not part of the human condition to desire that? Because otherwise, are you even conscious, really? Like, if you're not, are you even human? Yeah, if you're not retaining that for yourself, and so I think you know that bleeds out into so much of our behavior. And I think the the fiat or materialist 
mindset. And, and I think freedom, I think I mentioned this in, in Money Messiah, but I, I think one of the definitions of freedom could be uh, closing the gap or unifying with the value that you're seeking. And yeah. then you, that delivers the sense of liberation because you're no longer striving in relation to the thing that you, you desire. And so I think if you take the material approach to that, you say, well, more money means I'm able to unite with the things that I want, i.e. I'm able to buy the Lambo, I'm able to buy the 20 pairs of Yeezys, I'm able to close that gap. And, I, and, I'm a, and that is a form of freedom, right? But I think the, for lack of a better term, the religious uh, view on that would be that freedom, the greatest freedom is to be found in unification with the most eternal or absolute values as we've been discussing them. And that's a far more difficult journey because then you're the impediment versus, you know, the world being the impediment and just simply money and being able to unite with those things with money. When we're talking about those most fundamental values, all of your imperfections are the impediment to uniting with those things, as far as I can tell. But should you be able to do so, what you're delivered, <laughs> you're delivered, uh, but what you're delivered is a wealth that is, um, what's the word, priceless, you know, that, that is, is incomparable to anything else. And again, like th this is said in one way or another in so many theological and religious and philosophical texts throughout the ages, but I think it's true. And the, the distinction there is just, how are you seeking freedom in relation to the transient or the eternal? And maybe it's as simple as that. Yeah. And it makes me think of, uh, it makes me think of the cave, Plato's cave, you know, they have the shadows on the wall, you know, that sneakers and the Lamborghini, it's an image. It's an image of freedom. It's an image of wealth. But then you look behind the wall and you realize that it's a, an illusion uh, mm -hmm. compared to the real freedom that, you know, Robert Raidlove and uh, uh, John Verveke had an excellent few podcasts recently, a few days ago. I don't know if you saw this, but John Verveke and him started talking about what is like the icon. What does it mean to be a symbol? And it is that which you can see through the image. The, the, the image is not what is real, but it is that which you see through into the icon. So that the freedom and the wealth is not the, the things that you could go by. It is that which, like you said, that through line in which transcends the material. And this is, uh, this is I mean, I've been hung up on this uh, for the past few months. It's like the, the materialism is we're blind. We're blind to these transient. We're blind to the icons because we're so stuck in our images. Mm -hmm. um, and we're, we, we, we fail to, to recognize all these things you're talking about value. What are these things? What is money? What is money? Because all we are, see is the image of what money is. We don't see what the icon or what the, you know, Plato, the, the platonic form, what the form of money um, would be. And this, you know, I see it, uh, people in my life, you know, the image of a loving relationship, they don't know what a loving relationship is. They know, they see the image mm. of what a loving relationship is, but that is so minuscule and it, it 
it becomes dark when you start to love images, right? Because you see how confused people are. And Bitcoin helps us transcend the materialism because it's you can't hold it, right? <laughs> like it, it, it physically, you, you know, it helps you. It's not material. So you have to understand what it means for you to really get it. You can't just look at it and it'd be shiny. It has to, it has to pull you out of the materialism. Yeah. Which is somewhat paradoxical, but I guess that's to be expected at this point with such, you know, heady topics and, and notions, mm -hmm. but you know, I, I agree. And you know, so as a result of that, it's no surprise that you would get this overweighting of the material world as a result of that disconnect with, you know, those values, you know, and, th and then it just kind yeah. of feeds on itself. Right. So what came first, yeah. the chicken or, or the egg, the death of God or the like <laughs> the material world and, you know, yeah. an over overweighting on on investigating the material world or, or appreciating it or valuing it. And, you know, who knows, but the, the answer is it, it probably feeds on itself until something comes along to course correct that, to, to bring it back in more proper alignment, more proper integration with what is most fundamentally true and real. And again, it seems like Bitcoin is serving that function. And what are we supposed to call something that performs that, that, that brings us back to what is most true and real and good and beautiful about ourselves and the world we inhabit. I'll, I'll let you and, and anyone listening decide what, what word should be put on that. But um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a motherfucker. Truly. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> oh. Well, anything else to explore? You know, I, I, I haven't yet uh, listened to the, Robert, the most recent Breed, Love, and Verveke series. I mean, Rob is just pumping out so much shit. It's hard to uh, <laughs> to stay up on it. But I do, I do intend to listen to that one because I, I love Verveke and uh, it's really fantastic. Uh, have you listened Rob, to the whole thing? Yeah, I listen to all of it. It's fantastic. Robert did an excellent job, and uh, you know, I think you guys, you as well. I think you do. You both and others, you know, I think you approach it with such a respect. And, you know, the, the only thing that I was thinking about this, the only thing that towers for Vakey's intellect is his humility. And, you know, they said it's a beautiful, it, everyone should listen to the John Vervakey Bitcoiner podcast because it really is like a, a, a showcase of, uh, you know, what he'd like to call dialogo. So it's just respect in dialogue. And it's really the, powerful. And the which podcast? Um, any any John Vervakey Bitcoiner podcast, oh, oh, whether oh. it's John Ballas, whether it's Robert Breedlow, you know, it, it, I, I think you guys show great examples of, you know, how to engage in a conversation. Well, thank you, man. I, um, I agree with that assessment of John. He's uh, he's an awesome dude. I've I've done two discussions with him. I've really enjoyed them. I suspect we'll probably do another one. Um, but that's the key, right? I mean, I think that's where so many go astray, and even myself in, in certain times, and I'm sure at all times in certain respects. But the the truth inspires and requires humility. That seems to be a truism, <laughs> you know, yeah. of some kind, uh, and. 
it's so evident today, you know, use Bitcoin as a, as a simple example. You know, there's people that, that come into Bitcoin, you know, uh, Nobel Prize economists or, you know, super superstar fiat investor or whatever, and they come in yeah. and they seem to not have the requisite humility to properly understand what's going on here. As a result of that, they they assess it incorrectly or at least partially. Um, they don't fully appreciate what it is. And as a result, either they don't engage it as optimally as they could, or they they completely dismiss it because they they have a false perception of it, or what I would assert is a false perception of it. And it, it just it seems to be a quality of the truth that it inspires humility. Because again, I mean, as we've been discussing, if there is such a thing, is it not more? This one's tricky. Because I was going to say, is it not more kind of fundamental and grand than yourself? But I don't think that's a precisely right way to put it. But because there's something like it exists within us in also, right? Like I, I think we have a, a piece of it in, in a sense. But we could just call it as fundamental as anything most fundamental in us. And therefore, how could we not uh, respect it and in a sense, subordinate ourselves to it? And, it, you know, of course, if the other way of looking at it is like, well, if it's true, then any assumption that you have that's counter to it is definitionally wrong. So, you know, I feel like that would inspire a humility or a lack of arrogance in relation to the truth. And I, you know, that's not, that's not super well said, but I, I, that's been my experience that both the pursuit of truth and encountering it, one of the hallmarks of it is that it inspires um, humility and that humility is a, a prerequisite in order to fully comprehend it or grasp it or invite it in. And I agree. It's so great when, uh, when people combine the humility with the just powerhouse intellect and dedication to the pursuit like Viveki has, um, it's a, it's a pleasure to witness and it's a pleasure to engage in. And I think it's a tremendous value to what we're all pursuing here, which is just a greater understanding of what the fuck is going on with everything, you know? Really? Um, but one, one, one thing I, I meant to say, um, on the point about value before we switched to Verveki was I, I I'm fascinated by the idea of the ascetic. Right. And I think mm -hmm. most people in modern life, if they're even aware of the like the term or the concept. The, idea, the, the concept, think it's one of deprivation and discipline. It's like, wow, like he's so committed to his religion that he's committed to a life of, of deprivation and he's not doing this and he's not doing that. And wow, like and, and, and fair, fair enough, I think they admire the the, the capacity of that individual for discipline. Mm -hmm. And, and for commitment. And I'm sure that's the case in many instances in terms of the ascetic, because mm -hmm. not everyone has the same approach to all this stuff. But I mm -hmm. do think the idea is probably more fundamentally grounded in, in the notion that if you've established a close, pristine, high fidelity, whatever we want to call it, relationship with what is truly most valuable, as we were discussing before, uh, that delivers to you the greatest sense of wealth. And as a result, other forms of wealth necessarily, necessarily and relatively 
are diminished, you know, in comparison to that highest and, and grandest and greatest form of wealth. And so it, it seems logical to me. I've never spoken with one. I haven't delved too much into the topic, but they're actually, you know, they don't consider themselves uber disciplined or, you know, living a life of extreme discipline and commitment, but rather they've arrived at a place where they're so internally wealthy, they don't require all the different uh, material things and forms of wealth that we just uh, presume are, are necessary or universally valued in the world today. I think, yeah, I mean, I think what choice do they have, right? We talked about, I, we talked about Bitcoin. If Bitcoin is this thing, which is so incredibly valuable, so incredibly wealthy, or follows so much wealth and can, can inscribe in your life this much wealth, and I'm not talking material wealth or anything, how, what choice do you have? You, you, these people don't, it's not like, oh, I'm going to make the choice between being an ascetic and being a not an ascetic. It's like, no, there's, there's one true path. And this is that path um, for them. And why do you think the selling your chairs meme is a thing? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's related at least. Uh, exactly. And this is just the thing that's hard to comprehend is these patterns. It's the patterns. Jonathan Patrick talks about the patterns, the patterns, the patterns that line up with this ancient theological philosophy and the patterns of Bitcoin are hilarious <laughs> and, and hilarious and synchronistic. And I will join Eric Kaysen's cult very shortly. <laughs> gladly. I will have no choice, but I'll gladly join it. Well, there you go. I mean, uh, and this is this is the really interesting thing. I mean, I guess everything is ultimately a choice, but some things become so clear in your mind that it's it's almost difficult. Does the truth to give resist. you a choice? Well, there you go. There you go. It's very tough. I mean, <laughs> you still have a choice, but. Will you allow yourself to make a choice that you know is wrong? I guess is, is one of the things that the truth forces you to confront. And if so, why? You know, why would you do such a thing? Because that's the thing about value, yeah. right? Like you, you always, it seems, tell me if I'm wrong. Um, in every circumstance, you're going to make the choice that you value more. I mean, it's, maybe it's tautological or, you know, but everywhere like you mm -hmm. you're never going to make it the the whole reason choice is a manifestation of the outcome that you value the most out of whatever outcomes are available to you is that not true i think it is true but then it all it comes back to your your understanding of what is valuable to you if you're a heroin addict Heroin right. might be more valuable to you in that moment than going to see your parents. A hundred percent. And which one is more, which one is actually more valuable? <laughs> <laughs> which one actually, and it seems like we would all agree that there is some sort of truth in rekindling a relationship 
with your uh, parents is more valuable than doing heroin. Yeah. And so, you know, it makes me think about your money messiah. You know, you did talk about this. It, you know, there, there, there is the limitation. You have to, you have to attach yourself to truth. You have to attach yourself to truth, and then you can choose, truly choose. That is when choice becomes a thing. If you don't have truth in your life, then you can't, you can't choose. And this is what Jonathan Verveke and Jonathan Pedro talk about in terms of like the symbol of the zombie, right? And it's such a, a perfect symbol for like our yeah. culture. They, they don't, they, and uh, I watched this other great YouTuber, you know, it, free will is not something that is inherent within humans. It is something that needs to be fostered. It is something that needs to be grown. It's something that needs to be um, manifest before you can choose something, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to be a good person. It'll be fine. And then you're confronted with that moment. And if you don't practice making those choices, if you don't practice these things within your life, you're probably not going to make the right choice. And yeah. you, we can see millions of examples from our own personal lives, I'm sure, and even throughout history. Totally. And I, I think, again, if we were to take that recognition, that more logical, rational, secular sort of explanation mm -hmm. and narrativize it, we might say that every decision you make is made in relation to God or said another way from mm -hmm. God's perspective, God judges every decision you make in, in terms of how it is constituted in relation to him. And yeah. I think that's right. And so, and this also invokes the, you know, the sin missed the mark thing. Like, yeah, because that, that heroin addict. So to the initial point, he is valuing doing more heroin than anything else he does. The, the whole reason why this universe of religious and theological narrative, I think, emerges and why these discussions around value are, are perennial is because they're trying to ask, well, I'm engaging a certain value hierarchy when I make that decision, right? And in this case, it might be a value hierarchy that most serves the impulsive physiological gratification that I'm, I'm seeking, serving the self like in a in a destructive way. Yeah. And there's reasons why that was deemed to be not the optimal value hierarchy to be engaging, not the optimal orientation, not the proper thing to be aiming at. Right. And so I think what this enterprise is all about is, okay, which is the proper thing to be aiming at so that all those millions, billions, infinite number of decisions you make throughout life are made optimally in relation to that thing or said another way are made in relation to the thing that most uh, generates optimal outcomes and call that thing mm -hmm. that you do it, that you act in reference to that generates the op the most optimal outcomes. God, let, let's put a word on it. We need to put a word on it. We need to, you know, figure out, we need to communicate it and play with the ideas. And so mm -hmm. that's what we do. Um, and that seems that seems reasonably logical to me that that's the case. And, you know, people like the heroin addict for a variety of reasons have, well, have, have, you could say, you know, why did the, the notion of sin become so pervasive and why was it kind of levied at 
people for a variety of activities. Now, again, maybe you make the case, the culture got carried away with the notion and the, you know, the punishments and all this kind of stuff got way out of hand, Yeah. but maybe it was a recognition that you are not in proper orientation to the thing that you should be, or that most benefits you, or that is most true, um, or that most generates the best outcome. And that's doing you a disservice. Yeah. Some, some, something like that. And not only you, but it's doing your family a disservice. It's doing your community a disservice. It's doing your country a disservice. It's, right, right. It's doing that's, the that's world a, a disservice. Point. Yeah, because all of our actions are integrated in some, are interconnected in some way, right? And that's why the sin is against quote unquote God, because it expands out from the nucleus, you know, or the the, the very bullseye of your action into, as you said, your immediate environment and your family and the community and your, it has consequences on all those levels leading right up to the biggest that we can conceive of. And perhaps that's, that's why we get the narrative language that we get. Totally. And it makes me think of uh, Jesus Christ. Um, his, he sacrificed himself. It, that was not what was good for him in that moment necessarily mm. he he mm. died but um it was actually what was good for uh progeny it was what was good for humanity to to allow humanity to bear witness to the tragedy and there was a self-sacrificial aspect to that value so it had nothing if you look at Jesus as like the individual as the self, which it probably shouldn't be looked at it's more as, you know, truly the incarnation of God, but you know, that this is, and we live in, you know, it goes back to the psychedelics, right? We talk, we talk about psychedelics, ego death, uh, dissolving ego, dissolving yourself. You know, these things are so disconnected from our, um, you know, you call it the cult of the self or, or whatever this is, this individual freedom. And these are, these are sort of, um, these are, these are sins in them. It, it's a sin to, you know, the, Jonathan Pajot, I guess, says, you know, there's left-handed sins and right-handed sins. So you have a left-handed sin, um, which would be like a, let's say, a, you know, a communist, you know, they say, we want to level everything out. We want a level playing field. And what happens with a level playing field? You murder a bunch of people, uh, millions of people. You destroy ecosystems. You destroy cultures. You destroy everything, families. Um, and then you have the right-handed sin of the ultra-libertarian of the ultra freedom oriented of the ultra self. And this is also a similar sin that mm -hmm. I, I have, a, I'm just having a hard time in my life understanding this balance mm -hmm. between the two because they're incredibly uh, difficult. But again, Bitcoin introduces this balance like eric case says right he says it pulls communists the craziest things from communism the craziest thing from capitalism and like morphs them and bitcoin morphs or it it, it unites 
the self with the whole in an extremely strange and very hard to understand. Maybe you can't even consciously understand it, um, it right? Like you're saying, you know, sometimes it's like it's the simplest thing is like, hey, maybe you don't understand it. It's not something to understand. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah. No, I, I think that's very, very well put. And it's a very interesting observation. <clears throat> and I agree with like, you know, Bitcoin has call it a paradox, call it a synthesis. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's brought those two seemingly opposite forces into a perfect union. And again, you know, you look back to <laughs> all the books and stuff, like what's the thing that unifies opposites and, you know, all this stuff, it's all, it's all there, which is why it's so interesting to look at it through a lens, the, the lens that is, um, is Bitcoin. But I think, I think that's, very right. I mean, I don't know about the last part. And I think that the, we, we try to contend with the seeming paradox, if it is one, yeah. and we try to understand it more. But I, I do think you're right that it's like both of those perspectives, you know, the, the communist or the uber individualist, like they're lacking. Yeah, you might say the former is mm -hmm. far more destructive, and I would agree with you, but they're lacking something. And, and, and you know, back to your um, your comments on on the figure of Christ and, and his sacrifice. I mean, of course, there's many different ways to interpret the Bible and religious narrative generally. Mm -hmm. But I also think in context of what we were saying uh, regarding what your actions reveal you're most serving. And we were saying in that context that, you know, uh, serving your own gratification seems to be seems to generate a, a suboptimal outcome. And therefore we should probably say that it's less true. It's less mm -hmm. properly oriented with what is most fundamentally true. What, what better way to communicate um, the primacy of something other than yourself, than a story in which, you know, the, the miraculous hero sacrifices himself. Like how 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 better to imbue the reader with the notion that it it's it it would be wrong, it would be sub suboptimal in narrative language, it would be a sin to have your primary orientation be the accumulation of value to and for yourself. There is a there is a a better orientation to be uh, established, and that it that is your task to to do so. And it goes back to that that quote you read from the Rene Ganon, right? It's the it, it, the image of Christ is the death, but that's only the 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 image. That's only the manifestation. That that moment of darkness, like the conjunct, the union of the opposites, is actually what creates a new beginning. Mm -hmm. It is, and I Eric, I think Eric Kaysen also it's uh, you know his thoughts align with this as well you know it's, it's in the darkest of the night he, he mentions heidegger and you know we we are at this we all feel it there's this low point we are we are of a fallen nature to use the biblical language again but it's like this you, like you you were saying about being optimistic and like there is no there, it is glorious days because through that apocalypse through the apocalypse 
And it's not an apocalypse like our materialist uh, understanding of, oh, like hellfire and raining and everybody's going to die. And it's, it's the death of something. It is the death uh, spiritually. It's the death of something. And out of that, um, something new is uh, born. And this is the moment, at least for me, it seems that we're living through. And there is this... Um, there is this rebirth and Bitcoin obviously is going to play a part of this in whatever aspect. And like, I understand where Jordan Peterson is like, he's got his hand in his head. He's got his head in his hand. He's like, I just don't, I can't comprehend it because what, <laughs> what is there to comprehend? It's so, yeah. It's so out there that there is no, um, and it goes back to, uh, you know, faith and belief. It goes back to these things and believing in the invisible, believing in that which is to come. And it's amazing how, uh, you know, again, it's amazing how similar all of these patterns are. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I say this often, uh, basically to cover my ass for, you know, historical uh, listens and critiques, but like either we're nuts or, yeah. you know, we're, we're sensible enough people. I think anyone listening would be like, these guys are not completely insane. They're probably decent dudes and they're reasonably well-informed and they're thoughtful and that kind of stuff, but they're just, they drank the Kool-Aid and they're way too far off the deep end. They're in a cult. Yeah. Yes. Or sure. we are in just insanely epic times. And it, it I mean, in, in trying to understand that and in trying to, I don't know, get, gain some greater clarity on it. I often think about, and which is why part of, you know, I have a, a really interested in like ancient history and that kind of stuff. And I, I, I cast my mind back to like when these great civilizations were being established and even inter-civilizational periods and when great, you know, religious traditions were first established. And it's like, it's not like they came on the scene fully formed, right? Most of them took several hundred years to develop. They borrowed aspects from neighboring traditions and religions. They were shunned at first, they were rejected, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, for whatever reason, likely a multitude, they became established, they became adopted officially, which itself should kind of be like a negative rather than a positive, but we won't get into <laughs> that whole thing. Um, but I, 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 like I think about when like the energy that that would unlock for for people when 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 greater clarity around these questions that we've been discussing kind of emerged and it sparked like just yeah like it sparked an explosion of of energy and of flourishing and of of abundance wealth. yeah yeah exactly and again not not in the necessarily the form that we would think of in modern culture today, but like, I, I just, and you know, I, if we ever, if we ever get time travel, like I'm going back to like beginning of Minoan culture, like Indus Valley, Mohenjo-Daro, Harappan civilization, early Egypt, just to, you know, to see what it would have been like to be around when you go from, and again, this is an overly sim simplistic interpretation of, of uh, anthropology and history, but Mm -hmm. You go from relatively undeveloped or unsophisticated groupings of people, communities, tribes, minor civilizations, whatever, to like an explosion of 
sophistication and meaning, right? You, more, almost more than anything, you could say that civilization is the process of the expansion of meaning and all the different manifestations that that has. And um, so again, I mean, we're drinking the Kool-Aid or it seems like if not that we're at, we're, you know, smack in the middle on the precipice at the beginning of another one of those periods that seem to recur in history, you know, kind of alluding to your comment about patterns uh, before where a domain of meaning, a clarity around value, whatever else we want to call it is emerging. And it stands to reason that the, the benefits, the abundance, the wealth that is felt by individuals that engage in that or pursue it is going to be, well, remarkable and energizing and extremely interesting, for lack of a better term. Yeah, and yeah, it'll it'll be it'll be beyond us. But like you're saying, civilization. What is the pattern of civilization? It is it is the the togetherness of a multiplicity it is you gather under one thing and we our civilizations are crumbling because there is nothing to cohere us together and bitcoin coheres like you said earlier bitcoin coheres through our pure greed greedy incentives it's like the craziest trojan horse that again is it's a paradox because you go for it yourself and you become a part of it and you give as much of yourself as you can to receive as much as a benefit from it as possible you know again you there's probably a lot of opposites that you could you could highlight and mm -hmm. bitcoin would seemingly resolve them which and and where does that only happen it only happens in the great religious stories the yin and the yang this these symbol these ancient incredibly ancient symbols is is the only representation of these principles from what uh, you know i'm i'm not I'm not, not a the religious scholar or something. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm just a regular guy. Uh, but, <laughs> but you know, this is this is where I'm starting to see them. This is where, as I uh, uh, get out of my cave of spiritual impoverishment, I start to look at the sun. It's like I'm I'm starting to see these things manifesting. You're talking about, you know, you go through, uh, you know, being a fan of ancient history and and learning and from myself, it's like, I'm amazed at what I didn't know. And I'm amazed at what I missed. And I'm amazed at how much learning more of these things helps me bring clarity to um, this moment. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's um, one of the hallmarks of the Bitcoin rabbit hole. It's like, you, mm -hmm. you sure, you come out of greedy incentives, you come to make gains, you come because you're critical of the international banking and monetary infrastructure and size of government and all that kind of stuff. And in your attempt to understand what it is you're engaging with, you're forced down all of these roads that just expand that because it's so multifaceted. And again, this speaks to kind of the, the 
phenomenal paradigmatic nature of it and paradoxical nature of it is that in its in an attempt to understand it you wind up understanding everything or you know you're incentivized in order to to gain that understanding of this thing it, it keeps pushing you down roads to properly to see the full picture to see the full for full picture and that is a definite hallmark of pursuing an understanding of bitcoin and again it's another one of those qualities of it that makes you think what is this thing but suffice it to say i mean it's it's incredibly stimulating because and you know many of us were already kind of curious people which is why perhaps we ended up here sooner than the majority of people in the world mm -hmm. but still you know the thing that i often remark on is all those intellectual pursuits lacked a certain relevance or gravity you know and it's like you you could have even construed them and definitely was the case for me in periods of my life as a waste of time like yeah all right you're gonna spend three hours today like reading about whatever ancient culture like that has no bearing on anything in your life whatsoever that's a that's a downright waste of time um and bitcoin has come on the scene and and not to say i mean that may not be a great use of time still but the point <laughs> is is that it, it's 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 because of what it represents and because of how your engagement with it matters and because of how your understanding of yourself in relation to it matters and because now you you can see a brighter more hopeful future that you want to contribute to as well as you can for all those reasons and likely more but pr probably primarily to see the full picture with bitcoin it's mm -hmm. it's requiring you to push your mind and push your understanding of things further into all of these things for insights that might be discovered that you can bring back and contrast with the thing that you're trying to understand and and the reason why the whole moniker of rabbit hole emerged is because it seems like that process is never ending. Yeah, no, I think you you made an incredible point. It like it is, it's the connection between heaven and earth. It is the connection. Bitcoin allows you to actually have something on earth to connect. It 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 allows you to interact with the world through some of these principles. Yeah. Outside yeah, of the religious I, institutions. And I think that's true, which is a spooky notion. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh man. Uh, this has been great, man. I, I you know, I, I know I talk about this stuff too much, but I just, I can't, um, Nothing else seems as interesting to me than uh, trying to push the bounds of my understanding on these topics. So I appreciate you being a, a willing and capable partner in that pursuit. Well, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to have the conversation because, you know, I'm sure some people can relate. You know, sometimes you, in my personal circle, there isn't that many people I can have certain conversations with, you know? So it is extremely nice to be able to uh, engage other humans in um, some of these esoteric subjects, I guess. And uh, it doesn't seem that esoteric for me, but um, maybe I'm insane, like you said. So yeah, who knows? well, we want to, in advance of the Bitcoin Renaissance, we want to be, we want to avoid being locked up for insanity. So that's probably why we 
keep these conversations amongst uh, fellow <laughs> Bitcoiners for now and, and don't drop it at dinner just, you know, <laughs> too quickly. But uh, but yeah, man, it's uh, it's great to connect and I appreciate the time. And uh, yeah, let's do it again sometime. Just hit me up when you feel like if you get any further on any of these things, uh, hit me up and we can have another chat. And I, and I look forward to reading some of the writing I think you're working on, right? I'm trying to. It's a slow, it's a grind, but it's tough. Keep at it because I'm sure there'll be some valuable insights there. I really appreciate that, man. All right, brother. Take care. All right. See you, man. Yeah.